0: Man, we're thrilled to have you join us. Um, If you're new, my name's Ryan, and I don't normally have this deep, velvety voice, but uh, I got super sick over the uh, weekend and uh, grateful to be feeling a bit better this morning. Uh, It reminded me, actually, God's faithfulness, I haven't been sick only but one or two times on a Sunday in the life of our church the last five and a half years. That's amazing. Uh, The last time I was sick... I guess you can clap for that. That's cool. Um, the last time I was sick was a couple years ago on a Sunday, and I remember waking up Sunday morning just completely wiped out. I get up early on Sunday morning to get my heart prepared, to st- go over the notes, and uh, I wake up, and Jenny's trying to take care of me, and she gives me some, some medicine, and I, I, I'm like... Trying to focus, I'm like, Jenny, I just can't keep my eyes open, and I just fall right back asleep on the couch, and I, I don't feel good enough even to drive myself to church, and so she drives me there, and um, I make it through the morning as probably a life-changing message for everyone who was there that morning. Uh, later, she realizes that she didn't give me day quill, but night quill.) <laughs> And so I preached the whole sermon on NyQuil. I got news for you. I'm not on NyQuil this morning. So here we go. But can I pray for us before we dive in? I need it. You need it. And I believe God's got something big and good for us this morning. Jesus, thanks so much for bringing us here. Thank you for your grace. Thanks that you've created a space for us to encounter you. God, I, I pray for clarity of mind that my words would be your words, that your word would speak powerfully, that lives would be changed, that people would encounter you. And so we come with expectant hearts about what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week we kicked off a brand new series called Thin Spaces. Uh, the title actually is, comes from a, uh, a term from uh, ancient Celtic Christians. And yesterday we celebrated St. Patty's Day or St. Patrick's Day, uh, and it, uh, it was a way that the, the ancient uh, Celtic Christians talked about this, this moment where it seemed like heaven and earth met. A thin space is a place where the boundary line between heaven and earth seems especially thin, those moments where it, it just seems like God is so close, where you encounter the divine, Now, this is not to say that God is distant or far off in any way, but these are simply moments where we are more aware of his ever-present reality. And the truth this morning as you showed up is that God wants a moment with you. The God of the universe is wild about you. Like our prayer every single time we set up is that this moment would be a thin space, I don't know what your week looks like or where you've been in the hurry and the hustle of your life, but but this would be a divine encounter. This would be a thin space where you experience the love of God. And this morning, we're talking about the title of the message is Personal Thin Space. We're, We're familiar with Maybe places that are thin spaces for us, like the ocean for me. Maybe it's the mountains for others. Maybe uh, it's a specific place in your home. Maybe you have a cadence in your life that you meet with Jesus or a prayer closet that, that is just a thin space that, that your heart naturally gets aligned and in tune with God. And yet there's this other reality that there are people who are thin spaces, aren't there? Aren't there people in your life or people that you've met that when you, when you get around them, Your heart just quickens to the things of God. Your heart just begins to become more aware and tuned to the presence of what God's doing around them or or around you. Uh, I think in my good buddy, Josh Fox, uh, he's in the process of his wife's giving birth right now. It's exciting times, but he's been a buddy for over 20 years and he's a thin space person in my life. When I'm around him, I want to be more like Jesus. That's what a thin space person is. Now, did you know that God actually wants to use you to lead others to a thin space with him? That God wants you to be a personal thin space. Like your life and the way you go about it, that that would be one of those spaces for the people around you. When they're around you, they would feel like the boundary line between heaven and earth is especially thin. And they encounter the radical, unrelenting love of God. Uh, We're going to look at an incredible encounter, a conversation Jesus had, and discover how we can become a people who are thin spaces for others around us. How we can become that type of person, especially for a hurting and broken world, desperate, in need of the love of God. If you got your Bibles, we pick up the story in John chapter 4, verse 1. Last week, we taught uh, in John chapter 3 the story of Nicodemus and the encounter that Jesus had with him, and and how do we have these life-changing encounters with God? How do we experience these thin spaces? And now we're talking about how do we become a person of thin spaces that the people around us encounter Jesus And we're going to study Jesus' encounter and discover from him, because he's the ultimate thin space person, is he not? The Son of God walking this planet. Discover from him how to become that type of person. John chapter 4, verse 1 says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Apparently they're keeping count. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, there's three main regions in Palestine. There's Judea in the south, Galilee in the north, and Samaria right in the middle. It says, verse 4, now Jesus had to go through Samaria. If you got your Bibles, I just underlined that. We're going to get back to that. Uh, And I love this because it says, now Jesus had to go through Samaria. No, he didn't. Now, Samaria was the most direct, fastest route to Galilee. In fact, i got a map here just so you can visualize it. He's in Jerusalem in the area of Judea. And then just north of Samaria, if you can look, I know it's a little faded out, it says the Sea of Galilee. That distance is about 70 miles. It's about a three-day journey if you go direct. They could travel about 20 to 25 miles per day. And so the most direct route and common route is to go straight through Samaria. However, a very devout Jew would not. And rabbis certainly would never go through Samaria. We're going to get to this in a second. But there is such a history of animosity that they would actually do this. Now, pay attention. They would go from Jerusalem, and they would cross over. You see that little blue line? That's the... The Jordan River they would cross to the other side of the Jordan River travel on the far side of the Jordan River and then cross back over once they passed the region of Samaria to go to Galilee that's what a devout Jew it'd take twice as long twice the distance and what I love Is Jesus did what no other rabbi would do. He said, now I had to go through Samaria. There is as if it was a moral imperative. He had a meeting he did not want to miss. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sikhar. Near the plot of ground, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. It's in the heat of the day. In the heat of the day, when people just hung inside, stood in the shade. Work would have been done or finished at this time. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, it's not the time when you come to draw water. You do it in the cool of the day. It's interesting, Sikar, the city itself, had a well, and this woman travels a half a mile to the well of Jacob to draw water. She does it at a time when no one else would be at the well, Clearly a social outcast. And Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? In this moment, Jesus breaks every social stereotype and order. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Now this gives us a, a glimpse that his disciples are picking up on the ways of Jesus because a devout Jew would never buy food from a Samaritan. And they're starting to get it. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then we get this uh, explanatory note in the text. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And if you grew up in the church, you... You've had this familiar concept that there was this animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. But to really understand it, let me give you just just a brief history lesson. And I'll try to keep it brief because I geek out on this stuff, okay? Okay but I I got a chart for you, all right? And we studied this last uh, winter in January, February, the life of David. And if you know about the history of Israel, there's 12 tribes, and they went through a season in their uh, history of being the United Kingdom, where all 12 tribes were united under one monarchy, under one king, and that was the King Saul, and then King David, and then King Solomon. Now, Solomon's son, however, um, was not... Very wise and under his rule, the kingdom divided, and we ended up with a northern kingdom, Israel, and so Samaria and Galilee, and then a southern kingdom, Judah, that's where the capital of Jerusalem, the temple of God was, and so in 930 BC, we see this division of kingdoms, two different kings. Well, in 722 BC, there is an invasion by Assyria to the northern kingdom of Israel. In fact, we've called this the the ten lost tribes. From that day on, we, we don't have this identity of the ten tribes of Israel any longer, and what it what Assyria did was they took all the best and the brightest and took them from the land, and then they sent their own people to repopulate and to intermarry in Samaria, and so there was this fusion of culture and religion, and so Samaria became this fusion of of Jew. Uh, Judeo religion and also the, the cultic religion of Assyria, and then so then we see this happening at the time, and then the Judah, the Southern Kingdom, eventually in seven uh, in 586 was um once sorry I lost my, was once more invaded. Same thing happened. However, they then returned. Now this is interesting. I think. Are you interested? Okay. Huh? I never know when I get into this stuff, all right? And some of you are going like, hurry it up, Ingram. All right. So there's this heart to return back to the promised land. Under Zerubbabel, they return back. In 586, the temple of God was completely destroyed. They rebuild the temple. Under Ezra, we see this spiritual renewal. Under Nehemiah, he comes back to build the walls. Now, as Nehemiah is building the wall, the chief opposition for Nehemiah were the Samaritans. In fact, there was such animosity and hatred. The Jews called the Samaritans half-breeds. They called them religious compromisers. There was a constant battle between them. In fact, in around 400 B.C., the Samaritans built their own temple on the Mount Gerizim uh, to rival the temple in Jerusalem. 130 years before Jesus, it would be, uh, I think it was uh, Jason Harkonis. Don't quote me on that. I can't remember his name. He would go from Jerusalem and destroy Jerusalem the Samaritan temple, and there was this intense hatred, vitriol. In fact, a Jewish Pharisee would pray this, that no Samaritans would be raised in the resurrection. There is such anger and hostility. This is racial. This is religious. This is political. And here's what we see. If we want to become people who are thin space people. what we see in Jesus is that Jesus breaks through the barriers. Jesus breaks through the political barriers. Jesus breaks through the li- religious barriers. Jesus breaks through the historical, racial and social barriers. And if we are going to become reli- uh, thin space people, we must take the initiative to break through the barriers. I got news for some of you. Did you know Jesus isn't a Republican? He ain't a Democrat either. Did you know that some of the greatest barriers are, are us as Christians putting them up because we're, we're, we're fighting against things that we shouldn't be fighting for? You know, it's incredibly hard uh, to be a, a Christian in this day and age, isn't it? I got you know just going out in the public as a pastor, the minute someone finds out I'm a pastor, it shuts down because there's a preconceived idea about what a Christian is and what they stand for. We have barriers when it comes politically. We have barriers socially. When I think about that, those that are have been ostracized and put down, I think about the LGBTQ. Community. The church, for far too long, has been known for what we're against and then for what we're for. Jesus, when he saw the woman, he saw the woman as someone who's valuable, not less than. Jesus wasn't afraid to be misunderstood. He's having a conversation as a rabbi man who would never have a conversation with a woman, and he has that conversation because he sees a divine moment. We must take the initiative to break through the barriers. I love what Craig Rochelle says. We will do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Jesus. Like this moral imperative inside us. I must go through Samaria. Now you don't. You know those people you avoid because they're going to bring that up? You know those people who avoid because they're difficult? Because they put you down? Because they make you feel uncomfortable? That you go around, that you just kind of figure out, I don't, I don't really want to go that way. It may take me longer, but I'm just going to go around them. And we are called to be people of thin space who take the initiative to break through any barriers that keep them from Jesus. See, that's the goal. It's how can we help them and meet Jesus? Well, how do we break down some barriers? Well, what did Jesus do? He asked a question, didn't he? I think too many Christians have answers before they're asking questions. Listen. And just listen. Just, just ask a question and shut up for a second. And just listen and get to know someone. Make them important, make them worthy. Don't make them a project. I love, I don't know who said this, but he said, our job is to love others without stopping to inquire whether or not they're worthy. Uh, There's a friend was sharing with me a story about a young man who kept inviting his co-worker to church. About six months, he's inviting this co-worker to church. and Well, eventually the guy turns to the young man and says, you know you keep asking me and inviting me to church but you've never invited me to your home. Oh. I once heard from a professor when he talked about when Jesus said to love your enemy that an enemy defined in the ancient day was someone you would never have in your home. I'm just curious. For us, who are going to call ourselves followers of Jesus, that means walking in the way of our rabbi. Who are we unwilling to invite into our home? And perhaps those are the people we're intended to pursue. To be people of thin space, we must take the initiative to break through the barrier. And then Jesus shifts the conversation from temporal to eternal. Eternal. He shifts it from physical to spiritual. I love how he does this. He is the master, and he's always looking for this opportunity to how can I take something very physical and and turn it into something incredibly spiritual. And he says this. He answers her after this question like, how are you asking me this question? And he says this. If you knew the gifts of God and who it is that ask you for a drink, uh, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water, just this bubbling brook of water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and a well is deep. Jacob's well was 75 feet to 100 feet deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? As did also his Sons and livestock. In fact, that's a little jab, by the way. You see, throughout this, she's got these little jabs. She's saying, no, our father Jacob. See, uh, see, I'm part of this too." Trying to get him off his game. And then Jesus gets to the heart of the issue right here. The heart of the reason why this woman was going to a well half mile away when there's a perfectly good well in town. The reason this woman was going to a well. In midday, when you do it in the cool of the day. He told her, go call your husband. Come back. She answers, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true gulp in this moment it's incredibly profound and don't miss this and for some this is the reason you're here this morning in this mundane conversation in the heat of the well heat of the day around a well Jesus offers this to quench this woman's deep thirst She's walking out to the well, and and the reason she's walking out to the well is because she's looked for a man to quench her deep thirst her entire life and has gone from man to man to man. And Jesus says, you know what? Only I can quench the deepest thirst of your soul. The application for you and for me is only Jesus can satisfy the deep longing of your soul. See, our earthly pursuits, by the way, reveal our spiritual thirst. I'm tired of people saying the Silicon Valley is hard soil and they don't need Jesus because they're so successful. It's not true. In fact, their success or your success reveals your deep thirst for Jesus. Did you know that 75% of Americans suffer from chronic dehydration? 75% of you in this room, three out of four right now, you're thirsty. You had no idea, but you're thirsty. 75% of you, 75%, three quarters of you, clearly you can hear me, I'm thirsty. Suffer from chronic dehydration. Did you know that 60% of your body is composed of water? You probably did. You took anatomy. 75% of water is in your muscle. You have 85% of water in your brain. Uh, Doctors tell us that water is like the the oil in the machine. It just makes everything run smoothly. Did you know that Americans spend more money on soda than on water? Why? Because they're thirsty and looking for a supplement. Only Jesus can satisfy the deep longing of your soul. And for some, you've been supplementing success. You've been supplementing the hope that you'd get married one day in that man or in that woman. You've been supplementing a relationship, you've been supplementing your career, you've been supplementing. And you've been putting that, and you've been drinking it like it's soda in your life, and it just quenches it just enough. But honestly, what it is, it's caffeine, and it actually is a diuretic, and it's depleting you, it's not feeling you. And the truth is, friends, if you're going to become a person of thin space, you first got to come to the realization only Jesus can satisfy It's not Jesus plus anything else. And far too many Christians are living Jesus plus. Like, I like Jesus, but I need this vacation. I like Jesus, but I need this home. I like Jesus, but I need. And no, I like Jesus, and he's all I need. Okay, that was good. (laughs) Come on, that was really good. C.S. Lewis said this, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Our goal is not to make people thirsty, but simply to reveal the thirst they already have. A personal thin space. We must take the initiative to break through the barriers only Jesus can satisfy Now, what happens next is just so natural. This woman is feeling vulnerable. She's feeling exposed. And she does what we all do when we feel this way. She tries to shut down the conversation. She, she, I kind of liken to it, like acts a little bit like a teenager would. I don't know. I worked with teens for years and years and years. I'm now a father of a teen. Holy cow. And this is what teens do. Teens when they're feeling vulnerable, when they're feeling exposed, they begin to shut you out and they also thank you so much. They begin to test. <laughs> you got that little hint. I love that. <laughs> they begin to shut you out and what it is is they test the bounds of your love, don't they? Notice what she says after Jesus says this. Sir, the woman said, "I can see you are a prophet." Because you just told me about my life. Awkward. Then she says this. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in, this, in Jerusalem. Remember what I said. They got warring temples. They, the Jews, 130 years before Jesus, destroyed their temple. There is a religious battle going on. And the reason this woman brings it up is she's gone, you know what? I'm going to test. I'm going to test and see, like, how far you're willing to go because I feel exposed. And so I'm going to shut this conversation down. And she expected the conversation to end at this moment. And then Jesus responds, woman, believe me. And what she expected to hear Was you are so wrong. Believe me. You're so broken. And what he said was so powerful. Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. What Jesus just said here is like, listen, the where isn't the issue, the how is. He redirected the entire conversation. It's not about this mountain or that mountain. The where is not the issue. The how is. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to show you a brand new how. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming. It has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Like it's not about going to the right location, but it's coming to God with honesty, coming to God with earnestness, coming to God and saying, okay, here I am. And he responds to that. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. So powerful. I invite you to take time and just sit with this. We don't have time to unpack all of that. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called the Christ. Now she's picking up on something is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus said to her, this Samaritan woman, this woman that was a social outcast among her own community who the Jews considered a (laughs) half-breed. The Jews, by the way, when they wanted to insult Jesus, called him a Samaritan. This is the first time We see Jesus revealing who he is and what he came to do, that he indeed is the Messiah. He says, I, the one speaking to you, am he. What I want you to notice, when this woman wanted to shut down the conversation, when she said what was absolutely offensive that Jesus has thick skin and a tender heart. I remember one of my ministry mentors early on in ministry said, Ryan, to do ministry effectively, you got to have thick skin and a tender heart. You're going to have people that are just going to say mean things about you and to you, and they're going to put you down. And ministry can, can really cause you to have a hard heart. Because you deal with the hard parts of people's life, and you begin to grow callous. And you got to develop a skin that's not going to take things personally, but you can't allow your heart to be disconnected. Jesus had this thick skin. He wasn't going to allow, like, BBs off a tank, This what this woman really needed. But it got to the heart of the issue, the care and concern for this woman. I mean, I think about that with teenagers, right? You need thick skin and a tender heart because they're going to say some things to you that they don't really mean. Or maybe they do mean. And you need thick skin and a tender heart. See, if we're going to become thin space people, like people that God uses that when you're around, like heaven and earth meets, like that's what God wants to do in and through you. We need to become a people who respond with grace, not condemnation. Grace, not condemnation, is what draws people to Jesus. And I gotta be honest, I think Christians today are too often and too quickly offended. Far too many have thin skin and a tough heart. I mean, what do you expect? people who are lost and far from Jesus, to have the same values of you? To agree with you? Do you get that tolerance is the lowest level in society? Like, that's what our culture is promoting, tolerance. Jesus promoted love. Tolerance is, I just can tolerate you even though I disagree. By the way, culture is trying to redefine that as tolerance means agree with me. That's another sermon. Jesus said, I'm going to love you. I hate you. I'm still loving you. I don't want anything to do with you. I love you. You're the worst thing on the planet. I love you. I I think you're awful. I love you. When the enemies ridiculed, insulted, slapped Jesus, whooped him, crucified him, he hung on the cross, and what did he say? Forgive them, help me out, Father, for they know not what they do. The measure of your faith isn't how quick a response you can come back, but how great a love you can give. He said, they'll know you are my disciples by your love. The Apostle Paul said, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. John Stott said, grace is love, God loving, God stooping, God coming to rescue, God giving himself generously in and through Jesus Christ. And so don't be surprised when someone tests or pushes the limits of your love. Don't be surprised when someone tries to get under your skin. By the way, their resistance, I think, reveals they're closer to God than you might realize. And in those moments, we tend to react In anger instead of respond with love. And it's that response of love that will lead them to the heart of God. At this moment, the woman leaves her jar and runs to town. And the disciples show up. (laughs) They're looking around going, what in the world is going on? It's a big enough deal that we went into town to get food, guys. And now we show up and we see him talking to this Samaritan woman. And yet it's funny because the text tells us that they don't ask him about it. They learned enough. They're like, we're just not going to ask him about it. I don't even want to step into that. I don't know what's going on. But hey, let's just leave that alone. They're trying to get Jesus to eat uh, some food. And he's like, I'm not hungry anymore. And they're scratching their heads. I love the disciples because they respond the way I respond. I'm dense. I don't get it. And they respond this way. Did somebody give them food? <laughs> and then he says this. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Man, if you got that in your Bibles, underline that. Like your nourishment. Nourishment. It's life-giving It's to do the will of him who sent me. Did you know you're sent by God? Matthew 28, therefore go into all the world and make disciples. I'm commissioning you. And then he says this, don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes. Open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Or another translation, this word means white for harvest. Some commentators think this that the woman came and shared, and we're going to get that. We're going to close with the woman, and she shared and told all the the village about this man, and and the the men begin to walk out, and the customary garb for a Samaritan man was white, and so he says, "Open your eyes, look up, as you see the town walking out, and you see this horizon of white beginning to approach them. the 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 harvest is white." As this crowd is coming out. And see, Jesus calls his disciples to open their eyes. And that is our call. Don't overlook the opportunities right in front of you. Church, open your eyes. Jesus saw the overlooked. Jesus saw the disenfranchised. Jesus saw the dismissed and the put down. Those along his path. Like, open our eyes. Stop being so consumed with you. You're not that important anyways. Like, God has a mission for you. Like, like, lift your eyes off your problems. Get them on your God. Lift your eyes off your stuff. Get them on the people around you. Like, open your eyes and see that there's a world hurting and desperate need, that God wants to use you to lead people to a thin space with him. Like, you begin to embrace that. You have a missional mandate. You have a moral imperative. You go, no, no, I'm put here for more than just going through the motions. I'm put here for more than just making money. I'm going to step out of my comfort zone. I'm going to move beyond what I think and love people radically. What if we just began to care more about people than what people thought of us? Because we don't share because we're afraid of what people think of us. Did you know that you are a royal priesthood? 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 says, but you are God's chosen people, a royal priesthood. You know what a priest does? A priest in the ancient day was just simply to bridge the gap between man and God, it was to be a thin space. And God says, that's you now. You are a minister. It's not the pastor's job. It's not my job. It's our job. We are the church, and we're to bring the light of the world everywhere we go. Did you know that you are an ambassador of Christ, his representative? As if God is making his appeal through you, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21. In Acts 1.8, he says, you are to be his witness that's it I think the reason we don't do this is I think there's two extremes in our culture when it comes to Christians there's the weird ones and then there's the wimpy ones we don't want to be crazy we don't want to be obnoxious we've been around some of them but on the flip side we resolve to obscurity We resolve to being secret Christians. And there is a middle track and it's called not being weird or being wimpy, but simply being his witness. What do you need to be a person who leads others to him, to be a thin space person, simply be a witness to what you've experienced? You first have to encounter him. Now notice this, bring up the text for me because I don't, there we go. No, no, keep going, next one. Then leaving her jar, her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Now notice this. This woman had such a pass that that one phrase got the entire town's attention. (laughs) They're like, serious? Notice what happened next. Next slide. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And we saw a revival in a place that wasn't supposed to have a revival. We saw a revival with the people that weren't supposed to have a revival. Why? Because a woman encountered the love of God. And she found something more precious to fulfill her than her jar of water. If we're going to become a witness, we first need to encounter God. And then we got to leave our jar. I know this isn't a jar. This is an ugly bucket. If you go to Haiti, and I've been to Haiti many times, you'll see the whole scene unravel many times over with women going to the well and going to the pumps. And they'd go with something a lot like this, and they'd carry it on their head. And for us to become thin space people, I gotta be honest, so many of us have Jesus plus something will satisfy. And the response this morning is would you leave your bucket? Would you leave it this morning and you go, you know, it's Jesus plus my career, Jesus plus my kids, Jesus plus my future, Jesus plus this. And you go, no, 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 it's just Jesus. And when you get to just Jesus, man, it satisfies your soul. It changes you from the inside out. And there's just such a life and vibrancy that you can't help but share it with everybody else because finally your thirst is quenched. And the reason we have wimpy Christians is because you don't have your thirst quenched. You've never had your thirst quenched because you're relying on this. And it's just Jesus, friends. And just go, okay, this morning, this moment, I'm leaving my jar. And then I'm just going to share my experience. So let me ask you, I'm going to invite Taylor and the band to come up. What jar do you need to leave behind? What have you been searching to satisfy that only Jesus can? I'm going to give you a moment just to be with him. This is a thin space moment. And you might feel a little bit like the woman vulnerable and exposed. And guess what? You have a God with thick skin and a tender heart. Bring to him what's in you, not what you feel ought to be in you. But would you say, this morning I'm bringing my career, I've put that in front of you, And it's just Jesus, you'll satisfy my thirst. For some, it's your marriage or the hope to be married. For some, it's success. It might be pleasure for others, and it's an addiction for some. It might be experiences or your reputation. It might be being known or famous, and where you would bring that to him, and you go, Jesus, I want you and only you. Would you quench my thirst? And he